Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini, and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech, our events we host, our consulting and advisory services, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, and follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcast by searching MedTech Money on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. MedTech Money is an interview style podcast focused on demystifying raising and investing capital for MedTech companies. We have two events coming up this year, our Midwest Showcase, August 30th in Cleveland, Ohio, and our Startup Symposium, October 25th through the 26th in Houston, Texas. More information on both events are on our website. And if you use the code PM20, you'll get 20% off your ticket. Speaking of our events, they wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. And one of our sponsors for the podcast has also sponsored our events. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Valentium. Valentium is a contract design and manufacturing firm specializing in the end-to-end development, production, and post-market support of diagnostic therapeutic active medical devices especially active implantables and other class three medical devices. Valentium's core competencies include electrical engineering and design, mechanical engineering and design, embedded software, software as a medical device, mobile apps, CGMP contract manufacturing, embedded cybersecurity, OT cybersecurity, systems engineering, human factors and usability, and automated test systems. With customers all over the world, Valentium works with every with every type of client in every stage and situation, ranging from startups seeking funding to establish Fortune 100 companies. Visit Valentium.com to explore your next step in medical device development. In this episode, our guest Neil Piper at Luminoa and I discuss his personal tie to the problem they are solving, the importance of culture, the focus on team and problem, advice for raising capital, not delaying hard conversations, and so much more. So without further ado, my discussion with Neil Piper. Welcome to the podcast. It's nice to be here, Joanne. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Neil, introduction into um, who you are, um, what you currently do, and and your background in the medtech space. My name is Neil Piper. I'm founder and CEO of Luminoa, which is a uh, medical device company uh, that is working to reinvent tube feeding or internal nutrition for people that can't get all their nutrients by mouth. They need it through an NG tube or a gastronomy tube in uh, their stomach. Uh, I've spent uh, over 15 years uh, commercializing uh, devices and pharmaceutical products, uh, primarily through Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, Population Service International, um, but overall worked in about 18 countries here in the U.S. where I'm based uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is about a two-hour drive just outside of Washington, D.C., uh, near the University of Virginia, and in countries around the world like Somalia and South Africa and India and Cambodia. And it's a real privilege to be a part of this startup and to uh, really improve the lives of people that, that need our, our device. 
Yeah, so <clears throat> we did an episode with uh, Nikki Hastings, um, who would be part of the Seaville Biohub, which I think is part of the Charlottesville ecosystem. Um, it's one of the previous episodes. I, I'm totally blanking on which number it was. Um, but for those who are listening in who, who want to know about a, a really thriving biotech, medtech, health tech community that isn't Boston or, or San Francisco, really should check out that episode because there's a lot going on there. Um, now, we didn't get the intro from um, uh, Nikki. We got introduced through uh, Tim Harvey, who's also part of that community and runs another startup company called Al Peak. Um, Al Peak oh, Labs. I don't want to butcher this. Al Peak Labs, right? And they're doing some really, really cool stuff. Um, so, so, anyways, I'm glad he made the intro. Neil, I, I'm going to ask you to expand a little bit on the uh, Luminoa um, um, story here because the first time we talked, um, we talked to a ton of entrepreneurs, a ton of startups, a ton of, of, of CEOs, and. Um, there's a lot of great stories, but but you have a particular one that sticks out that needs to be told on the podcast. So so tell me about how you founded the company, why you founded it, um, and and start there. And although my my background comes from healthcare, it, you know Luminoa started out of a personal need uh, for me and my family in 2019. My son Noah, who was three at the time. Uh, was diagnosed with a rare brain tumor in his jugular foramen, which is in the in the base of your skull. Um, had LCH. Um, you know, he's running around like a normal three-year-old at the time, and started choking on his saliva, his food, um, and went in for an MRI and got the news that no parent wants to hear, and that's that you've got a a tumor in in your brain and. We went through a very difficult chapter of life um, where my son was in a, a controlled medical coma for about 10 days at University of Virginia Children's Hospital. We had 30 people out in the hallway. You know, it's a research hospital, so you have a lot of you know, residents and also uh, medical students there really thinking about the care plan and how we're going to keep our son alive. We were fortunate to um, get him out of that sustained state ultimately find a chemotherapy that worked for him but because of where the tumor was it created nerve damage in his vocal cord so he was aspirating and so he needed feeding his his new nutrients directly in his stomach for 18 months and i wasn't looking to start a startup who in their crazy mind would do something like that when you're going through one of the hardest chapters of your life when noah was you know getting chemo each day, eight hours a day, five days a week for, you know, about a 18 month period of time, I couldn't quit thinking about the problems associated with his tube feeding. It was something that, you know, I think in life, when life is out of control, you try to think about the controllables. And that's what got partially got me through this difficult time with my wife is, you know, no kid should be attached to a device upwards of 24 hours a day in a sedentary way. And so I'll talk a little bit about the current kind of archaic technology on the market for, you know, a half a million new patients every year, $11 billion market globally um, that need internal nutrition. So um, 
you know, there's over 300 disease states that, that could require this, um, you know, driven by oncology, GI disorders, and neurological disorders. And you come home, um, these patients with an IV pole solution with a parasaltic pump attached to that, that pole, a gravity-fed consumable bag that you replace every 24 hours to prevent from bacteria buildup. And then about two meters of tubing that connects on that device to your stomach. A lot of patients are connected that up to 24 hours a day, depending on their need. There's handwritten logs for tracking your calories. Malnutrition in the United States is a $50 billion burden to the health system alone. And, you know, some of that is attributed to, you know, readmission to the hospital because of malnutrition because patients just aren't able to keep up with how many calories have been delivered through this device in a day. And so we're looking to modernize this technology into a portable, intuitive, connected solution. And so coming back to that story, that moment in 2019 where I'm in the hospital with my son and he's attached to this device while also getting chemotherapy is really the why, right? Like why are people tethered to a pole? Why in 20? 19, do we not have a device that can provide data and empower people with their own data and to really have an intuitive, consumer-friendly device that when people see them, they don't see them for their disease state, but they see them because of the incredible contributions they can provide to society. And so we really couldn't quit thinking about, let's get rid of the pole, let's create a system that can pump against gravity and create a solution that a five-year-old can click and go without mom and dad helping or a nurse. A lot of kids that need internal nutrition are homeschooled as a result because you need a skilled nurse to deliver care. And so we really wanted to empower kids. We didn't want adults to have a tripping hazard. Um, imagine an elderly patient walking into the bathroom with an IV pole on a tube dangling on the, on the floor and, and the risk associated with that. And so that is what the thesis of this really came about. Yeah, so I want to chat about uh, more about the solution here in a second, but um, you know, and this story every time I hear it, uh, it hits home really close to home. Um, you know, I have a, a two and a half year old at home. I know how active she is, um, and we are literally six days away from our second being here. And um, you know, so you hear these stories, and and there is a really big soft spot for me, and especially. When there's when there's a kid involved in the story now, so um, how old is Noah now? Noah is going to be seven in a couple of weeks. Wow! And congratulations okay. well, on the new one. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, super exciting. Um, thank you, and 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 tell Noah that he is a warrior and an inspiration. And and if he in in ten years when dad's not so cool you can show him this podcast and uh we we talked about him on it uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh um but uh you said one other thing in there and you said you know uh, c- control what's controllable in life and i think so that piece is is great from a life perspective but it's also something big from a uh, entrepreneur's perspective or at least something that i feel is is big right and it's as an entrepreneur you have to be aware of 
things that are out of your control that can influence the success or path of your business. Um, but I see a lot of entrepreneurs spend too much time there. And then they start to put a backseat to the things they can control. And, and when you brought that up, it just made me think about it because it, it's, it's, a, it's a flaw I see frequently with startups is like this, it's, it's almost like lazy thinking to go, well, I can't control, we'll just talk about healthcare in general, right? I mean, I can't control whether we move to a value-based system or a single care uh, healthcare system, or we have the same model we have now. Some of those things are outside of your control as a startup, but people spend a lot of time thinking and talking about that, where there's a lot more they could control, um, and their their time and energy would be better focused there. And when you brought that up, it just it just made me think of that. Uh, I'm curious, you know, from your side as an entrepreneur. Do you spend yourself? You spend a lot of your time focusing on things you you can control, and just being almost aware of the things you maybe can't. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, a great lesson entrepreneurship as well, because you know even thinking about when you raise capital, you know if you spend a dollar, it needs to drive at least a dollar of value, but upwards to ten dollars in value, because mm -hmm. ultimately you've got to raise the value of that company, and. Yeah. And where are you spending that money? Where are you spending your time? And, you know, in the early stage of creating a company um, where you're really, you know, understanding user needs, understanding the market, you're, we talk a lot about the five P's, the, the product, the plan, the patents, the pathway, um, and the people. And, you know, understanding all, all the needs of that to be able to, to create a budget and start building designs and, um, and, and, and putting that into a design control. But in the early stage, you're trying to tackle everything, right? And um, there's a point to where you say, good is good enough, and we're gonna move forward with X. We have a good plan, we have a good strategy, and you start trying to filter out the noise. I mean, even closing recently on this round, I probably get 50 emails a day from service providers, which is great, I'm really grateful those emails, yeah. but I have to filter out noise and focus on what's going to drive value today and tomorrow uh, for the business. And I think a lot of that as well as entrepreneur is really recognizing your own gaps and making sure you're hiring in experience to where you have gaps. Someone that might have had 20 or 30 510k clearances or whatever clearance you need in the future that can make sure your team is focused on the key areas that matter of the business at that stage. Um, so I think it's a really good point. Being hyper-focused and really having tunnel vision is really important. And driving value where value needs to be driven each day. We're getting bracelets for the team that says drive value every day. A mentor of mine, Rick Goings, who was the chairman of Tupperware Brands, who I serve on a board with in another organization, something that was really key to his success wake up every day how am i going to drive value and focus on the imperatives yeah i love it um you know we'll we'll dive into this in a bit um i want to talk about culture uh and the importance of that within an early stage startup but we'll, we'll circle back to that so 
you, you kind of talked about the thesis of the problem, the story behind it, a, a little bit of the solution. Um, yeah, let's let's just start here with with the solution that you've kind of developed, where you're at with that solution, where the company's at. You did you did kind of drop a teaser on on uh, closing the round, uh, so maybe uh, share some of that news as well, and then um, we'll we'll f- we'll finish that piece of the story with with where you're going um, in the next you know twelve eighteen twenty four months. Great. Well, maybe if I could, I'll share a little bit about the trajectory. Um, you yeah. know, coming from this mm-hmm. story of a personal need, um, not looking to start a startup, but really having this necessity as a driver as, as kind of core to who we are as an organization. And I think, I think first and foremost, having a problem that you're willing to um, run through a brick wall to solve um, because you're that dedicated and passionate is, is really important. Uh, We have in the wall, the bathroom here at the office is, you know, here's a straight line of what people think success looks like. And there's a really screwy one of what the reality is. There are so many mm-hmm. ups and downs and everyone listening to this knows that he's an entrepreneur and is part of this journey. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's front and center, but you know, for us, the first year, you know, we, we, uh, we, I self-funded the company um, just to really understand kind of what we talked about around the five P's. Is this something that, you know, we can move forward and going back to Nikki Hastings, who was previously on your show, if it wasn't for her, you know, really wouldn't have had the confidence to move this forward. And, you know, being in Charlottesville and the SECO system that Sevo Biohub's done such a great job of that Nikki runs, she brought me in to introduce me to folks. And I started sharing what we're looking to build. And it was really the wind of the sales to get this going and that people were saying, you should do this, you should move it forward. And that was the drive that was needed and the confidence needed to to get this off the ground. Um, And so then we later raised a seed round, uh, around a million dollars, brought in some institutional capital, um, brought in some some really seasoned experts to where we had gaps in the business at that point and then closed on the Series A um, on June 14th. with, you know, Price Path Capital as a lead, Sands Capital, uh, Cav Angels, Virginia Venture Partners, and uh, 757 Angels. And, um, you know, some lessons that, you know, I learned in that process is it's never never too early to start fundraising. Um, it always takes longer than you expect, both on the product and, and moving that forward and for raising capital, specifically in this market. Um, and, uh, and it is a daily grind to get there and it takes really a full-time effort and, you know, um, talking to a lot of people and moving that ball forward. Um, and so kind of transitioning, and I'd love to come back to that with, with any follow-up questions you have, and then kind of now, where are we going? So, um, you know, we really pressure tested those five P's that we talked about throughout that seed round, really validated our plan and our thinking um and now we're moving towards a design freeze um here next over the next month um this this round of six million is to fund us to fda clearance and so we anticipate submitting to the fda um you know by the end of the year or the first first part of next year 
and then um, looking to have 510k clearance um, in 2024. And that's, uh, that's what we raised this round for. And then following that, we would, you know, commercially launch with, you know, a series B. Very cool. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, what was the size of the series A? A 6 million. Very cool. That's awesome. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Tell me about, you know, we have a whole separate series for, for raising investing capital, but, but you know, this, this comes up on, on this podcast as well. Tell me about that, the process of raising money from, um, in your series A round, like just compare and contrast maybe the different pitches you've had from the venture capital groups versus the angel groups you've mentioned, right? Um, were there similarities? Were there a lot of differences, different strategies you used? Did one take longer than the other? What was due diligence like? You know, just curious about the difference between VC and angels, because generally there is a pretty big difference there. Yeah, and we, we spoke to a lot of people across, you know, individual angels to um, angel groups, to family offices, to, to VC firms, you know, both on the East Coast, West Coast, and different parts of the world. And, you know, my, my background early in my career was uh, being on the commercial side at Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. So I've done a lot of pitches in my life and spoke to a lot of people. Um, yeah. And it was still really hard, right? And, uh, and I say that not to scare people, but just to get ready, right? Prepare, learn, just grow and, and be ready for the journey and, and embrace that, right? Um, and we all go through it. Um, so, it, I think the answer to your question regarding the approach is a little different too, based off the market, right? So we were, you know, thinking about a larger raise, um, you know, in twenty uh, twenty, and then obviously, uh, well, I guess that was twenty twenty two January when pre revenue companies uh, really dropped, right? And so thinking mm -hmm. about a smaller round. Um, potentially at a different valuation with a milestone of FDA clearance versus getting full commercial, um, just taking on less capital. And as a result, what that does is, you know, your larger VCs that have a multi-billion dollar fund, it's very difficult for them to lead a Series A at a $6 million because their, their biggest resource is partner time. And to be able to lead a Series A and to put someone on your board you know, you need a bigger check size to make a dent on a return on a, you know, multi-billion dollar fund. And so our approach then shifted to, you know, finding a, a family office lead um, and then working with some key angel groups and having a really strong venture capital partner um, to come in that, that could really guide us and lead, potentially lead the next round. Um, and that was our strategy. And so, um, what I noticed amongst the groups, obviously an angel, accredited investor, um, many of those ultimately come from your network, right? I mean, all of this comes from your network. You can go to pitch book, try to find lists, yeah. but the, the yield of returns on a cold email are slim to none. It's really yep. leveraging your network and talking to people and, and having and inviting people to open doors and, and join that journey with you in that process. But on the angel um, investors, the story is is really key and critical. What's your why? Um, along with the angel groups um, as well, 
Um, it's really important to show that future ROI, the growth, the potential of this market, your ability to have strong product market fit to disrupt that market, um, that you really understand the user needs and that you're, you've got the right team. You hear so many people say it's, you know, not about, it's, it's not about the horse, it's the jockey. And, um, oh, yeah. and, you know, we heard that quite a bit. Um, but it's true. Who do you have assembled behind you? Are you the type of leader that can assemble great talent that wants to follow this journey, right? Because it takes a lot to, to move this forward. And so I think the angel groups and the individuals really want to know about the team, the market opportunity. And, and then as you, as you move into larger family offices um, that have deep experience in you know, the medical device space or less than like a VC, but have had some good exposure they're going to really pressure test the business model, the financial model, the assumptions on COGS, the, the budget to get this to market, what it's going to take post. So looking at total money in over time and the ROI on that, right? And so um, so, so deeper conversations depending on that family office. Um, and then as you get into the VCs, um, really understanding that commercial strategy, um, kind of any commercial studies that would need to be done. Um, and, and really making sure you have a strong framework um, and, and built your house on a solid foundation that you're building a company that you can hold and, and maintain as, as status quo and that it'll be profitable on its own, um, but would be a likely exit for a lot of strategics. So really thinking about that exit strategy, whether it's an m and an IPO, obviously IPOs aren't where they were in, in 2019, yeah. 2020, maybe that's a good thing. There was some <laughs> slowdown and chasing that. Um, but really making sure you've got a sound business model. You know, the VC days of 2019 or Silicon, you know, Valley where you, you dump capital, you, you put a lot of money into a good idea and a team and you spend and scale as fast as you can. Are, are, that's not where we are today, you know, and I think that's a good good pivot we need to have yep. good strong businesses with strong foundations good leadership that you can have a profitable entity while disrupting a market and doing good I, I i would say on the on the vc side it's a little heavier stronger on returns i mean that's what they're tasked to do and the family office and angel it really it, you know everyone cares about the outcome and and the impact of of, of patients but i think you see a little bit more of resonating there in terms yeah. of that story. Um, and I think you, you can change your pitch a little bit um, depending on that audience. Um, but, you know, what we learned is that, you know, there, there's a core framework to, to all of it and what, what people are looking for. Um, and you end up, you know, customizing that a little bit based off the audience, but you have some of that core message there and, and kind of the appendix slides that hit, hit different audiences. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's great feedback. Um, so, so FDA clearance here in 2024, right? That's correct. Is, is, is the goal. Um, so up into this point right now, um, what's the current size of, of your team, I guess, real quick. Uh, so we've got, uh, 12 contributors on the team, okay. um, kind of broken yep. down between FTEs and people that are contributing at least 50%. Uh, time in the organization. We're currently hiring for um, kind of a, 
uh, elite quality engineer, um, you know, a hardware engineer and, and a hardware associate. So we, we, we do have uh, job openings that, that are being posted and we're scaling cool. the team and then bringing on some additional contractors uh, as well to, to join yep. us in this effort. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, Lumino, Luminoa's website will be uh, in the show notes. So depending on what platform people are listening to, if you're interested or know someone who's interested, you can uh, head to their website uh, via the show link. Um, so up until this point now, this will be my original question I was going to ask. Um, what was the one thing you got right? Um, and the one thing that if you had to go back and do it again, you, you might have done it a different way. So I think we got the problem right. You know, we were just okay. at a conference, yep. um, only conference in St. Louis, which brings about, it's, it's the industry glue that brings together industry and patients and um, clinicians. And we, we had a lot of people come up to us that said, thank you, you're listening to us. Um, we, we've been sharing the challenges we've experienced for a long time and it's, it's refreshing to know that a company is here for us and that they're waking up each day to solve the problems that we're dealing with. And I think we got that right. Um, I think it took understanding the problem firsthand, but also not recognizing, also recognizing with 300 disease state, our problems are very different than other people's problems our socioeconomic status and our background and ability to, you know, and, and how we manage our care is very different than others. So we want to bring a lot of people into that process, which we did. Um, there's a lot of things I would do differently. I think as entrepreneurs, <laughs> we, we all have a lot of scars. It's hard to pick just yeah. one, quite frankly. I, I, might, right. I might share two. I think one is um, making sure that you take time to find the right people and that if you get someone in a contract that's not working out, don't delay hard conversations. Um, if there's not alignment, say the things you don't think you can say. And I think that's mm -hmm. the hardest part as an entrepreneur is building a team, but also making sure you're not spending cash. It's not delivering value. Going back to that conversation, if you spend a dollar, it needs to mm -hmm. return a dollar to $10. And if someone's not doing that, um, you know, cut bait shorter, faster than later. Um, and then I'd say the, the second thing is um, realize that fundraising is critical to the success of your business. Without capital or non-diluted grants, you can't get your technology to market. And so, and recognize it's going to take twice as long and twice as much effort to get there. Mm -hmm. And it's a grind. Only you can do it. That's my opinion. You can get resources and help, but no one's going to be more like passionate and mission critical of getting the job done than you as the entrepreneur and the CEO of the organization. Yeah. So I'm going to take the second thing you said about um, the, you know, realizing when someone is maybe not in the position they should be in and saying difficult things and having those difficult conversations. Um, but but first, I wanted to highlight a couple things that we talk about frequently, and you've brought both of them up. Um, and and just on your conversation, you've done this uh, potentially intentionally. We might have done this intentionally or unintentionally. But 
you brought up team and problem. Um, and, and when we look at startups, you know, there's, there's three things at a high level. We just take a quick peek at, right? Like it's our first few things when, when analyzing it. Um, I guess like if we were relating this like football, it's like, okay, you got offense, defense, and special teams, right? There's a lot more that goes on, but if you just looked at those three areas, you can get a pretty good feel for the team. So problem team and solution. We look at solution last, um, it, it's there's there's got to be a big enough problem. There's got to be a core understanding of that problem, and there's got to be an awesome team. Um, there's so many analogies I can do with this, right? Whether you're a sports fan or you like board games, right? It it doesn't matter. Um, and and you've brought both of those up more than you've even talked about your solution, right? And I, I love that because that's that is something that we stress to our entrepreneurs because the dangerous line that everyone flirts because it's easy uh to 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 flirt this line because you you this is all you're working on is this solution you got to focus on that problem and you've got to always be focused on on addressing the problem um and and don't fall in love with your solution um because that's how you get down the road where maybe your solution isn't solving the problem anymore and you need to make a pivot and if you would have really stayed in love with the problem, you would have seen that and made that pivot. Um, and so I wanted to highlight that because you talked about that. You did talk about team and kind of leading into this. You know, when when I hear a lot of entrepreneurs say this and, and <clears throat> when they say this, it's like, well, we're not telling you to just go recklessly, you know, hire and fire people, right? Uh, obviously, you need to give it thought. But that's something that we see too is if, if, if it's not a good fit, you've got to have that quick pivot. Um, and, and you've got to be able to have those difficult conversations in an appropriate manner. Um, uh, because yeah, you, to your point and, and with startups, right. There's like time and money is everything. Um, and it's not, I'm not telling you to rush to market, but if you waste some time, that's a killer right? You're, you're raising a finite amount of money. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I want to pivot into something I wrote down earlier about culture. And so you, you kind of brought up the problem, the team, you talked about, you know, the drawing on the bathroom wall and everything, right? Um, tell me about how important culture has been for, for you at the company and how it's evolved from your your culture that you want to have and how you've instilled that into your team as you grow, whether they be full-time contributors or part-time contributors? I, uh, I think culture is you know, really the identity of an organization. Uh, organizations is only as good as its people. You can have the best idea in the world, <laughs> but without the right people, um, your, your organization is not going to be successful. And kind of before I go into that, to kind of go back to your sports analogy, you know, you've got a lot of international um, audience members. So, you know, trying to think of a good sports analogy, but even yeah. thinking of soccer, which everyone can relate to. Now we're right? talking. Not, yeah. not American yeah. baseball or football, but I mean, if you also like, you know, as you're building a business and you've got finite money, if you have too many coaches, you've got too many gaps on the field, right? And mm -hmm. if you're, if you're the, the owner of a football team and you've got a finite amount of money to get your team uh, to, to a win and you're spending too much money on coaches and you've got holes right in the middle of the field, um, then you're, you're going to get scored on every time, right? And so 
making sure you don't have too many coaches. You've got to have the right number of players to fill those gaps. And, um, and I think it's also just making sure you've got that balanced team. But now, as you're building that team, what's the culture and the expectations? I think, for me, we start our meetings talking about the patient and you know telling stories of what we're learning. And we come back to the needs. I mean, we're just at Ole, I was mentioning, and tell story after story of the impact and that patients sending their thanks to our team for what they're doing and waking up and dedicating their life's work to improve their lives. And I think people need to anchor to a reason. These are highly skilled individuals that can work for a lot of great organizations. Why do they want to stay with you? They need to have something. We all want a bigger purpose in life that we are going to do something that has a has a bigger reason, right? And so that's really important, cre- keeping our why front and center, but also expectation setting. I think having aggressive but realistic targets, r- recognizing that it's a grind for everyone, but making sure everyone's signed up for that and ready for it. And, and making sure that you, when you're interviewing people, that you're being honest and transparent with them um, the, of what day-to-day culture is like in the organization. But I think it's really important to, to break down verticals and that having a really collaborative um, organization with accountability, having a good OKR schedule. You know, we use OKRs going up into a dashboard with, with key performance indicators with corporate goals, having green, yellow, red, of how we're tracking on that with a good project plan that if, you know, one person gets behind, that can delay the whole project. Mm-hmm. And when you think about mer- monthly burn rate, you get into whatever your monthly burn rate is, every month you delay, that could be in the magnitude of hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, right? And so really, I think illustrating that, bringing everyone into that full picture and recognizing the importance of each team member, but also having fun along the way, joking around with one another and just being people. Engineers like to have fun and, you know, tell jokes to one another and we also like i'm not an engineer but um you know like to get get stuff done together right and and uh when someone's not joke around like what's going on over there and instead of just being hard and kind of you know edgy as a leader or manager and so we like to have fun Uh, we like to celebrate successes um and keep our why front and center and make sure that people that are working hard are incentivized, um, you know, equity when also salary and comp, that you take care of people, you card a total mm-hmm. comp and go on the higher end of things to get great people and keep them. Um, but, you know, that's a, a short, high-level summary of how we think about culture. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I love that. It's, it's something that um, – I focused more on, you know, within Project MedTech, right? Um, and spent a lot of time. And we had a uh, great episode with uh, David Duram, who's the CEO of Greenlight Guru, who, for anyone, you know, is in the MedTech space who thinks of a quality management system, probably knows who Greenlight is. And um, he gave a really good discussion just on 
on quality, but also culture within the company and how Greenlight's been able to go from four people to 250 um, uh, employees in, in 10 years, right? And so, um, you know, really interesting discussion, but um, it's, it's always fascinating to hear entrepreneurs talk about that and how do you preserve that and, and then how do you scale it as you grow? Um, so uh, I appreciate you sharing the insight there. Um, Okay, so is there if if you had a single piece of advice, um, you you've littered a ton throughout the entire uh, uh, podcast, and this is oftentimes the hardest question, um, <laughs> even though you you think it would be easy, it's just hard to narrow down one. But for for someone out there who's either you know thinking about being an entrepreneur or just started being an entrepreneur, um, what's your your best piece of uh, uh, wisdom for them. I would um, have a lot of informational interviews with other founders who are a step ahead, and reach out to as many people as you can to to buy them a cup of coffee or lunch. Recognizing they're very busy, um, yep. try to find the ecosystem that you're in. Like for us, we're fortunate to have Seasonal by a Hub, but if there's something similar in in your market or area. Um, you know, get plugged into that, start joining their events, um, reach out to people on LinkedIn in your area um, to, to talk with them. Um, and I think that's the biggest learning, but then also give back when you're a stage ahead of others. I love talking to entrepreneurs who are a few stages behind us. It wasn't long ago we were there as well, asking the same questions and uh, we're always happy to, to provide advice. So give and take on, on that front. Um, and also, I'll leave everyone with a book um, that's sitting in front of me called Scaling People, um, Tactics okay. uh, for Management and Company Building. This is from uh, Claire Hughes-Johnson. I met her at South by Southwest um, this summer. Uh, she helped scale Google early on as her COO and now has scaled Stripe. Um, it's uh, great frameworks for systems to create a good foundation for a scalable company of any vertical or, or industry. Um, and uh, it's a great reference book as uh, you come along challenges along the way. Awesome, I appreciate you recommending that. I have about, um, let's see here, probably like 10 books behind uh, on ones I've purchased over the last year. Um, it's funny, it's like reading with a newborn is easier than reading with some, uh, you know, one who's crawling and walking and running yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's just a different, a different, uh, level of watching, but, uh, and also starting a startup company in between there doesn't help the uh, reading portfolio. Um, but, uh, Neil, I, I really appreciate your time today. Um, there'll be a, uh, like I said, a link to the website, a link to your LinkedIn as well, um, in the show notes. Um, and uh, thanks again for telling your story and especially the personal details with it. Um, Noah's uh, 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 never met Noah, but boy, sounds like a superhero. So uh, congratulations to your son for just being a warrior and, um, you know, getting, getting through all of that. And also congratulations to you and your wife for um, <clears throat> taking a problem that you were experiencing and, um, you know, setting out to, to address that issue. Um, so kudos to you both as well. Um, but thanks again for being here and um, hang on for one minute. We'll chat offline. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.